Well, good morning. It is great to be back up on the platform. Actually, able to just get on the platform is a, is a positive thing. And uh, again, as I said last week, I appreciate so much Allie and Josiah and Dr. Dan as they have helped so much over the last many weeks and bringing the word and so powerfully just, just thankful. Just thankful for that. And, uh, and happy Father's Day. You know, I, uh, there's different days. We celebrate things differently, you know, along the way. And, and uh, you know, there's some days you get up and you go and you realize early on in that day it's not going to be the same kind of day that it normally is. I, I, four weeks ago tomorrow morning, I went in for, to get my left hip replaced and you know it's, you know, and then the nurse came out and got me in the waiting room and uh, the, the, the pre-op nurse and took me in and she, she said to me, you know, I know we haven't known each other very long, but I need you to get naked. Well, you know it's going to be a different kind of day. You know it's a different day. And she handed me a gown, thank goodness for all that. Yeah, she did. She was just trying to lighten the load and I just appreciate that. But you just know it's going to be a different kind of day. And sometimes we have those. And, uh, but I want you to turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. We, Josiah and Dr. Dan have done the first two chapters. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but verses 1 through 14. Then we're going to kind of launch off from there. And it should be on the screen also if you don't have it electronically or in your Bible, whichever one. So here we go. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means, by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Again, I ask, does God... Did God give you his spirit and work miracles among you uh, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so that only those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Amen. Paul asks a series of questions here. I mean, he just starts firing, doesn't he? And I, and I love it. And, and he expects an answer to these obvious, these, to me, obvious questions. They were obvious to him. Paul's trying to remind them by, by living by the power of Christ 
that the, that the spirit which moved them originally had so radically changed their pagan lives. But what Paul goes on to say, basically is what he's saying, are you out of your mind? Have you been hoodwinked? Have you had the evil eye thrown? Have you been bewitched? What happened? He's just confused. He said, we portrayed, we painted a picture of you, of Christ crucified. We painted such a clear picture, it's like seeing a billboard on the side of the road, literally is what it means. We painted a picture so big for you that that's what it is, and somehow or another you've missed it? What happened? Paul was not only trying to help the people in Galatia, no doubt, but he's also trying to help us almost 2,000 years later of not making the same mistake. The spirit that began a work in you is also faithful to carry out the completion of that work in you. Let me say it again. The spirit that began the work in you is the same spirit that's going to complete the work in you. Unless you take it back. Unless you decide to control it. Unless you begin to put other things in the way. Paul goes on here. He compares the work of the Spirit to the work of the flesh. And he's saying the, 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 the latter, obviously, is reliance on the old Adam. What he's saying is this. It will not be through the works of man who is the old Adam, the dead man, the dead man is not going to bring life to your life. When you begin to pick back up those things that were holding you in bondage, as Josiah said a few weeks ago, you've been, you've been made free, now you've got to learn how to live free. I think that's the difference when you see people who are truly liberated through the Spirit. There seems to become this genuine releasing, even though they may have, as we've said before many times, or as I've said many times over the last many weeks, no doubt when we're on this side, before we're saved, before we've given our life to Christ, we are a mess. We are extremely dysfunctional many times. And, but over here, we come to know Christ, and we still may ex be extremely, um, an extreme mess and extremely dysfunctional. But now we're free. Now we have the opportunity to begin to live in a way that we never could have lived before. But when we try to pick back up the old man to do the work, we're done. So Paul's just truly trying to get across to them the law, the law cannot bring life in itself. I want to jump to a passage of Scripture because I believe it's really important. Jesus in Matthew 17, what does Jesus say about the law? We, we know what Paul's saying here. But Jesus is saying in Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 5, excuse me, I said 17, Matthew 5, and we're going to read 17 through 20. But Jesus is speaking here, 
And what did he have to say that backs up what Paul is saying? He says, do not think that I have come to what? Abolish the law. Law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish him, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to break that down for you a little bit, so don't freak out here that now all of a sudden, oh, Jesus said, now I've got to live back under the law. Let me clarify what I'm, I believe he's saying. First thing Jesus says is, in his strong, real strong language, it's basically a legal term, do not think. In other words, he's saying, don't get in the habit of thinking this particular thing. And what he's getting at is, if you think it long enough, it becomes true for you. Even if it's totally wrong, and it's totally a lie, if you keep saying it long enough, and you keep believing it long enough, and what he's wanting to try to get across initially to these guys is, one, as we will understand a little bit as we go, the law hasn't been tossed away. So you can't look at it that way. And the law wasn't a mistake. I've actually come to fulfill it. So either one of those, oh, the law now is gone and I don't have to worry about that. I'm under grace and I can do whatever the heck I want to do. Or the law was a mistake all along. Either way you look at it, Jesus says, and actually Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now, obviously, there are laws that work in the world around us that we would all agree on, the law of gravity. There is no doubt that if, if I jumped off of this, if I stepped out right now, which direction am I going, up or down? <laughs> I mean, gravity is going to happen. But then there's, the, that there's theories of science. There's, the laws, there's certain laws in science that you'd go, okay, if, that hap- if you do this, this is what's going to be the result. But then there's certain things. There's theories of science, and that is like the theory of evolution. They're trying to explain something. They're trying to tell the why behind something. But there's laws, okay, in, in, in nature. There's laws that we all live by as a society. And I think most of us would agree there needs to be some kind of laws to keep chaos from just actually going crazy. I mean, but we all... But when you look at God's law, many times we look at that as some kind of restriction. We look at that as some kind of bondage. We look at that as some kind of, instead of looking at it, like for instance, you wear your seatbelts. Now, I have known people over the years who, that I love to pieces, who made a decision they didn't want to wear no seatbelts. And they weren't going to wear them. Because it seemed like a restriction to them. And there was almost a level of rebellion <laughs> that was attached to that. But as time goes on, if you really think about it, that seatbelt law is not as a restriction as as a protection. It's trying to save your life and maybe trying to save those in your car that you're telling to wear it or your children and you put them in a car seat. As we've said before, as I've said here before, my mom was an unbelievable mom. 
Really, and I, and I don't even just, that's not hyperbole. I mean, I'm just telling you, she was phenomenal. But she didn't put me in a seatbelt when I was a little kid. I was born in around 1960. And I'll tell you, your best seatbelt was an arm in the chest. That was the seatbelt. Today, you'd be arrested if you did that, correct? You could not get, if you did that consistently. And if somehow or another a child got hurt by you using that, very, very well, you could be charged for that. And we, we know that. But when my mom learned and she understood, well, we began to move forward, right? Because she saw it as a protection, not as a restriction. When you learn and you begin to understand and you begin to see it in a different way, then all of a sudden you don't see it the way you used to see it. So what, what, what Jesus is telling these disciples and what he's trying to get across to us, you know, and even Paul's trying to get across to us, you're going to have to look at the law differently. Up to this point, you've looked at the law as a restriction. But through me, Jesus says, it is the way to freedom. That's different. You're going to have to look at it different. Because according to Scripture... The thing that brings sin, makes sin abound is the law. The law has brought us in so that trespasses might increase. I mean, here's an illustration. Watch what happens on a freeway. We had this. If you were out there today and you're driving home, which many of you will drive on a freeway on your way home, not everybody, but many will. And it would seem that each speeder says to himself or herself, that the law has forgotten to patrol this part of the freeway. So since they have forgotten to patrol this part of the freeway, I can go 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 miles an hour over the speed limit because the law forgot. But just let a state trooper pull in behind you. Sin abounds, right? All of a sudden it becomes very personal. <laughs> You're not worried about everybody else and what's going to happen to everybody else. It becomes very personal at that point. The law now says, okay, we set that at 75 or 65 or 55 for your protection. Even though you don't think I'm watching or you don't think it's what... Law shows up, guess what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn you. It comes to convict you and comfort you. And set you for help you get free. See, now, where before though, only the law, because I didn't have anything that could work within me. I didn't have before Jesus came, I didn't have the ability to be set free. There's good news. Let me finish that passage of scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. You got that for me up there? The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase. But here's some good news, folks. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That is an amen, a big old fat, big old honking amen right there. I'm just telling you. The more I realize what shouldn't be going on in my life, the more I realize how harmful it is to me and to others around me, the more I realize that, the more power I begin to receive to live it out. 
the law of God, the law of sin and death, and the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The laws. I love what Jesus says here. He says the law of God. The word abolish here, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish. He, literally what he's saying is, I did not come to dissolve it. I like the three words. I did not come to release it. I even like this one. I did not come to loose it. And what I mean by that is, I want, I've come, you, some of us think, well, Jesus came so he can give us a lot more play in this thing. I've got a lot more room now. It's kind of looser than it used to be. Jesus says, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen. Now, some of you have used this term before. The term here, if we're the, not the smallest letter, it says it is the term iota. And it's like our eye, our cursive eye without the dot on it is what it is in the Greek. We have taken this, as many of you already know, because you've used it before. Not many of you. If you're under the age of 40, you might not have. <laughs> For we've said, it doesn't make one iota of difference to me. Anybody ever said that? Yeah, like three of you. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said, don't be looking for loose. Don't be looking for cracks. Don't be for looking for ways that I can separate this out. And Okay, this is an exception for me. Because when we begin to look at the Ten Commandments, are they unreasonable? Because the reality is many times we look at the Ten Commandments or look at God as this legalistic, he is the cosmo cop, the cosmo police. He's looking for ways that I can, I want you to put this law down so as soon as I put this law down, I'm going to find a way to pop, hit you. That's all I really have in this thing. It's not because I love you and want to protect you. No, I really put these in place so I could punish you. So you begin to look at God through those lenses. For many of us, we look at the Ten Commandments, for instance, as a place between man's best attempt and God's divine expectation. The Ten Commandments are somewhere in here. It's, ah, that's what I tried to do. God, you know you set it too high. I love what Irv McManus says. It says, the Ten Commandments are not heaven's standards. He said, he goes on to say, he said, the Ten Commandments are the lowest possible standard of humane living. Stop and consider what they demand of us. So maybe it would help if I just rephrased them in everyday language. Here you go. Hey, could you stop killing each other? Oh, yeah, by the way, could you stop not steal each other's stuff? And it would really be helpful if you didn't lie to each other. And here's the thought. Could you just leave other people's husbands and wives alone and just stay with your own? I mean, the way I just read them, they're unreasonable, right? Is that right? They're unreasonable. Who, who, who could live up to that? So 
So the Ten Commandments don't call us to an the Ten Commandments don't call us to the extraordinary spiritual life. They call us to stop dehumanizing one another. The law of the Ten Commandments is the minimum of what it means to be a human being. Little things, Jesus says, not one iota. No, not one. Don't be trying to find a way around. I'm actually going to cause you to be able to live through that and be go beyond this. You know, small things matter. I mean, I found out after surgery, small things really matter. When they come in there and tell you, Mr. Gentry, if you do not urinate by 4 o'clock, it's 3.15, we're cathing you. I said, bring me buckets of water. <laughs> and at 3.55, I went to the bathroom. <laughs> Small things matter. <laughs> then they said, and Allie and Jan's a witness to this, it's pretty awesome. We are not a, hey, pull my finger kind of family, if you know what that means. But they tell me, I can't, I'm hungry. I hadn't eaten since the day before. They said, you can't eat till you pass gas. Now, I don't brag on this. I'm not one of those kind of people. But I'll tell you what, as soon as I passed gas, I said, there's my witness. Allie and Jan both were sitting there. I don't know if I've ever passed gas. But I told her, I said, I need a witness because I'm ready to eat. Because small things mattered. They didn't matter before. They didn't matter even days before that, but they mattered right then. A bowel movement four days later mattered. Now, I know this is a little more information than you came to get today. But let me tell you this, though. I've just experienced false things that I have taken for granted matter when it's, them, those kind of things are on the line. You've got to see what's on the line, friend. Who's on the line? It's not just you. It's time to get your focus just off you. I've got a month's worth of preaching fired up inside of me. I just want you to know. I want to tell you, if you keep making this about you, you will never advance in the kingdom. What's going to happen, what needs to happen in you is not just about you. It's time, maybe for the first time in your life, that it's no longer about you. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But it is Christ who lives through me. And that means you've got to make hard decisions along the way. It means there's things that people will disagree with you along the way. There's all kinds of things. As a father and a parent, you know what that's like. So many religions around the world say, find yourself. Find yourself. Christianity says, find yourself and crucify it. Because you're the issue. Why do issues keep showing up wherever you go? Maybe because you're showing up wherever you go. <laughs> and believe me, friend, that includes this pastor. Imperfect. But wanting to live in the Spirit. That's all I can tell you. The law of sin and death. Romans chapter 7, 22 through 25. 
This is the Apostle Paul writing here. And I'd say this. If this becomes true for you in one part of this, let me, say, well, let me read it first. So in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Stop. You need to underline that. You need to highlight that and circle that. When you read Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about the fact, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, I don't want to do. He goes back and forth in this writing. But what's so interesting, right there, plot in Romans 7 is, Paul says, for in my inner being, that didn't come natural. Because I'm going to tell you what the deal, folks. Your inner being naturally wants to be a bit away from God. Something is happening in Paul's life here. Something is happening in your life when you can say, for in my inner being, I am now hungering for God's law. I want to live a life that God is calling me to. Something's happening in your life. You may not be there yet. Because why? But I see another law at work in me. Waging what? You may need to circle that one too. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Sin that you no longer work, you no longer want in your life, but still somehow haven't quite got there, still does not have to have you in bondage. What I mean by that is, there can still be things in your life you wish were not there, but you can still be set free because your desire and your hunger is to live in the Spirit. Paul says, in me is this desire, is to live this way. But there is a law at work. It's the law of sin and death. If you're here today for, and you've come and you don't even know why you're here, maybe, I just got good news for you. You don't have to live under that law anymore. Under that law. Oh man, let me read Romans 8, 1 and 8, 1 through 8. I just want to, I'm so excited to read this for you this morning. Therefore, in other words, whatever I just said, you got to ask every time you see therefore in Scripture, what do you ask? What's it? Therefore, In other words, whatever I just said up to this point, therefore, boom. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of what? Sin and death. Okay, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Again, what does Paul say in Galatians, the first part of Galatians 3? He's saying, you can't do this through the flesh. It's not going to work. You can't do it. There are, there are religions built around you work it out. You work it out. But Paul is saying you can't work it out that way. You just can't. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Next, next slide. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, which I would say right here, let me tell you three things I think the flesh desires. It, it, it desires control. It desires uh, approval. And when they don't get those things, they get bitter and angry. If you're getting bitter and angry a lot and unforgiving, I would say look at some of these things. But those who live according to, with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the spirit flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It just has no capability of submitting to God, even if it wanted to. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But let me give you Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced, if you're wanting to live by the Spirit, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is great, great, great news. That is great news. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. Because I think some of you today may be hearing what I'm saying too because we're talking about the law and it's easy to get it confused. And Jesus is saying, he told the disciples, he said, do not think this way, but it's still easy to think this way, right? That somehow or another, if I become a Christian, if I follow Christ, it is going to be this burden of things to don't do. It is going to become legalism. Now I will say, let me say this. Legalism leads to bondage. Discipline leads to freedom. Now, there's a difference there, folks. If I said, I think it's a great idea, if you read, you're in the Word every day and you're praying and you're doing all those things, you can look at that as bondage or you can look at that as a discipline that leads you to freedom. <laughs> so make sure you understand what I'm saying here. To understand what God's laws are doesn't mean you're going to be living under legalism. What it does is a pathway maybe to freedom. If you put a discipline in your life and you maybe begin to memorize Scripture, for instance, you put a card up on your, on your mirror every morning or in your car and you go every day, I'm going to memorize Scripture and I'm going to get this banked down in me. I'm going to begin to do to put this deep within me. Well, maybe, just maybe, that is not bondage. That is a process of freedom for you. So don't confuse. You see, because there, are, there is some effort. There's just no earning. See, you can't earn grace, but I tell you, well, get out of here. Oh. By the way, in the honor of the U.S. Open, I brought this today just to show you what I, no, I'm getting, I'm going to kick that thing around here. Jesus died to fulfill the law on our behalf. Even though our salvation is not dependent 
upon keeping the law, we are not exempt from the law. We show our love for God by wanting to know His law and have it live within us. I love what 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. For Jesus Christ's love compels me. I don't serve God because I want to earn His love. I serve God because I am convinced of His love. And I am convinced what He believes in me. And I am convinced He values me. I am convinced of those things. And because of being convinced of that, I want to serve Him. That is different. I don't do things for Jan because I want to earn her love. I do things for Jan because I love her. trying to earn anything because some of you I mean I'll be honest with you in all this I I want a God who transforms my life we've talked about this before about faith I don't want a faith who just leaves me the way I used to be I want a faith that transforms me I want a power that lives in me that says you used to be that, now you're this. And you couldn't become this unless the power of the Spirit working in you. That's the kind of faith I want. True freedom, I wrote this down years ago and it may be of help to you. True freedom is the ability to know what you should do. That's a big thing. Let me just say to you. To have clarity and discernment of the Spirit and of the Word. What should I be doing? The second part. What does Paul say in Romans 7.22? I desire God's law. Now you know what it is. Now the question is, do you desire that? And when you begin to desire it, you may not be living it yet, but let me tell you, when you desire God's law, something's happened in you. There is a movement beginning to happen inside of you. It's undeniable. Not only by you, but other people around you. And then you can't stop there. And then the faith and power to live it out. The faith and power to now live it out. I don't know what your desire is in your Christian faith, but I hope it resembles that. And again, you can come up with your own description of true freedom. As much as we know that grace deals with the generosity of God, Dallas Willard said, grace is acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. As I close this morning, I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come on up. I just remind you. Don't cheapen grace. Please don't cheapen grace. Grace has been seen in many settings as somehow another the liberty to live below the law. 
Even though Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We talk about being a grace church versus a law church. Sometimes people have looked in the church of the Nazarene over the years as that legalistic law church. You guys are, no, we're a grace church. We are a grace church. But let me say this. Grace always takes us above the law. Takes us way beyond the law. Law says, do not murder. Grace says, do not have hate in your heart for your brother. Law says, do not commit adultery. Grace says, don't have a lustful thought. Law says, give 10%. Grace says, give 20, 30, 40. (laughs) My point is this. Grace always takes us above the law. God gave us this grace. Not on the fact that we discontinue dehumanizing ourselves (laughs) and others around us. That we would live in such a way that this grace would be so sufficient in our lives we would just give it away. That it would no longer be about me, but about him and about them. And I become this conduit that's cleaned out. And the more I'm cleaned out, the better flow it is. And what I have realized, and I've talked many times about it, the more I get the Spirit in me, the things of the Spirit in me, the less room there is for other things that shouldn't be there. Instead of just trying to stop doing things, sometimes we just need to let go and let the Spirit move in our lives and begin to change us. Would you stand? It is by faith. It is by God's grace. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you came to be changed from your pagan life. (laughs) Don't try to live another way. Don't try to make something else a substitute for that. Good man, you are substituting like a million dollars for a penny. I mean, I'm just trying. That's crazy. But one of the ways I know for me personally, I just continue to keep laying it down. I kept coming. These altars we use here at Renovation, and you you can do your altar wherever you want to, at your chair or standing, wherever you want to. But I kept coming and trying to lay myself down. Lord, I don't want to keep picking this back up again. I'm trying to control this. I can't. I I want other people's applause. I I can't. I'm I'm trying to get other things that cannot set me free. As a matter of fact, it's making me bitter and angry. And unforgiving. There's just great news. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And Paul's just reflecting what Jesus in John 3. Because Jesus told Nicodemus, the only way you can be born again is through the Spirit. 
But also there's John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and, only one, one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, if you will, the Father did not send his son in the world to condemn it but to save it. And that's all of us. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's conviction. There's comfort. There is protection and there's all that. But let me tell you, friend, there's goodness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Him crucified. Him crucified. As we sing, I'm going to pray as we sing. If you feel comfortable today coming to the altars to pray, we'd love for you to be able to do that. But if not, I understand that too. But God bless you. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you right now for the call in our lives and our desire to serve you is not a desire to serve you and to serve others. It's not a desire to earn anything. It's because we're compelled. We can't help ourselves because of your love for us. Lord, your word says, your words was, do not think this way. Do not think I can earn any of this. Do not think that. But because of your love for us, we will do good works. We will do good things because of your work flowing through us, your power and your spirit changing us and the fragrance and aroma of our lives will be evident to those around us. Bless this time now. In your name, Jesus.